Welcome to episode three of The Reading Cure. In this episode, we'll be discussing the book Transcend by Scott Barry Kaufman. Thank you for joining us on The Reading Cure. We're about to dig into another great book to see what nuggets of wisdom we can find buried within. I'm Dr. Stephen Davis and my co-host is Dr. Alexander Fox. Now to start with a quote from this week's featured author. My research has convinced me that we all have extraordinarily creative, humanitarian and spiritual possibilities, but are often alienated from them because we are so focused on a very narrow slice of who we are. That is according to Scott Barry Kaufman author of the book Transcend, which we're going to be discussing. Now, in Transcend, which is subtitled The New Science of Self-Actualization, Kaufman offers what has been described as a bold reimagining of Maslow's famous hierarchy of needs and new insights for realizing your full potential. So we have two psychologists to contend with here. Firstly, the author himself, um, Scott Barry Kaufman, who is a prominent American cognitive scientist and public intellectual. He's an active researcher in the field of humanistic or positive psychology, and he's taught at various universities in America, including Columbia, NYU, and Yale. And he's also a very successful podcaster. He's the host of the Psychology Podcast, which has been running since 2014 and gets huge numbers of listeners every week. And then there is his subject matter, Abraham Maslow, a groundbreaking American psychologist, most famous for his hierarchy of needs, which was a theory of psychological health, which articulates how the effective satisfaction of our core human needs can lead to a state that Maslow called self-actualization, in which a person lives their life in a state of true thriving and fulfillment. So in Transcend, Kaufman is revisiting Maslow's key ideas in an attempt to reappraise them in light of the subsequent findings in neuroscience and psychology. And he finds enormous contemporary relevance and lasting potential in Maslow's ideas to help people live more satisfying lives. He also highlights some of Maslow's insights and perspectives that have perhaps been neglected thus far, particularly relating to the way in which transcending may be as much a social phenomenon as it is an experience of individual elevation. So I think the first question we were we were going to discuss tonight, Alex, was the uh, the fundamental message that, that Kaufman uh, thinks that Maslow had when it comes to living a fulfilling life. Um, what, 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 did you, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I wasn't quite sure what, uh, Kaufman's main message would be how he might summarize it but you know if I was to hazard a guess based on what I read I think maybe a good way would be to compare Maslow with Freud in some significant respects uh, there's that famous quote from Freud that the purpose of therapy is is to move from neurotic misery to ordinary unhappiness. <laughs> um, this is obviously not Maslow's view. Maslow... <laughs> I think Maslow, Maslow was a bit more upbeat, wasn't he? <laughs> I think he was more upbeat. Um, uh, it would be hard to sell that message, I'm sure, of, of Freud's. But what uh, Maslow was saying is that, you know, genuine um, 
joyous fulfillment is possible, which is not to say that we're always going to be happy or joyous, but we can reach a level of, you know, meaning and fulfillment that, that Freud obviously did not believe was the case. So I think that's part of the the fundamental message is that a meaningful life is very possible, uh, given certain circumstances, obviously. And, the, you know, the bar isn't just set at ordinary unhappiness. Uh, in fact, where Maslow and Freud would differ is that you know, Maslow was looking at a select group of people rather than the supposed norm. And what, where he would criticise Freud is that he was looking at the the statistical norm, which would be more unhappiness rather than those that had become, as Maslow would put it, fully human. So, yeah, p- part of the key message here is that we can uh, reach that level of fulfilment if certain conditions and needs are met. I think another way in which he's different to Freud is that Freud believed that we would have we we would have inner conflicts all our lives and they would be quite intense. So for example, our desires and our internalized moral rules would always be in conflict and the conflict would be quite tense. It would be uh, never fully resolvable. Whereas Maslow is saying we could reach a level of integration and wholeness that, that Freud would never have postulated. And so that's another thing is that, you know, Maslow is saying we could become more whole as as we satisfy the, what he would call our deficiency needs and our growth needs. So, yeah, I, I would take that as like the, the key optimistic message here. I think, Maslow. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you made some good points there, Alec. I think, I mean, obviously Maslow is known as part of this humanistic or positive psychology movement, which is never a a label that's been given to Freud, obviously. Um, And I think you're right. It's interesting. He's looking at, he's not just looking at those that are neurotic or ill. It's a message really for everybody. Um, Yeah, my my take on the the kind of fundamental message, I guess, was that, um, as you said, a meaningful life is something that's possible for us. And I think that um, Maslow provides a kind of a blueprint that I think Kaufman here has is, is kind of mm-hmm. done quite a good job of pulling together and summarising actually, which is about how to get on that path, which I guess involves the kind of ongoing striving towards mm-hmm. integrating the more disparate parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think, it, I thought it was interesting the way that Kaufman keeps um emphasizing that the fact that this is this is a process this is a, a state of being that you're in and um, it's not a, fi- a finite state that you get to where you've just you've reached it you're now happy you're content mm-hmm. and that's it it's very much a kind of i suppose an ongoing way of living um but if you if you get yourself into that way of living even at least to some extent most of the time then you're you're generally going to be a fairly content person um and in order to do that i guess this is where the the, the hierarchy, the needs come in, that we have the, this range of different needs that, that we must be attending to. And if we don't, if we if we focus too narrowly on on one or two of these needs that maybe are more, mm-hmm. stay in our comfort zone in some sense, then we actually are not going to be um, content. We're not going to be coherent and whole people. Um, so for example, one, you know, there, there needs to do with our sense of feeling security and, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's quite common maybe for some people to really 
emphasise that aspect of life. But of course, we have connection needs. And, uh, you know, sometimes the one can come at the extent of the other. You know, if we're, if we're too yeah. worried about security, maybe we won't go on a night out in the city centre because we're <laughs> worried about our safety. But then we might not see people that we would have, whose company we would have enjoyed, who would have given us a, you know, something, um, yes. something positive from that interaction. So um, I think it's also an interesting um, aspect that we have to, we, we really can't turn a blind eye to anything about ourselves, even if it makes us feel uncomfortable. We have to be really open to the full range of our needs and really almost um, ex- dive in and find them if they're really, if they're deeply buried in some sense. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, well, I think I think that's uh, I think that's all the case as far as I'm concerned. I would agree with you there that it's a dynamic growth process. I mean, we don't become self-actualized like we might become the CEO of a company. It's not like we've made it, we've ever made it. In that sense, it, is, it will be ongoing as long as we're alive. It's, it's very, di- it's, it's essential to feeling alive, being alive. And, you know, that phrase that you used about the comfort zone, I mean, that's something that we hear a lot, is it, about staying within our comfort zone. And Absolutely. and I think one of the key messages that, that Maslow's making is that our comfort zone is really more defined by these deficiency needs and that there is a strong part of us that wants to move beyond that. Uh, and if, if enough needs, deficiency needs, which we'll define later on, are are satisfied, then we can move out of that comfort zone. We're then emboldened to seek higher things. Higher things doesn't mean necessarily that they're more vital, obviously, but just that they're more part of becoming human, really, fully human, as he puts it. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think one of the nice things about this this, this Maslow's system this hierarchy is the idea that things start to open up you know when the deficiencies wane when you're you're attending to them in some way lo and behold higher needs love creativity exploration and so on these things actually open up and i guess ultimately the higher you move up the hierarchy you're you know ideally living a very purposeful rich life you know where there are lots of elements really um, feeling good, feeling satisfying, but again, it's this sense of a, a process that that you have to keep attending to. You don't just get there and then chill in a way. You know, you I mean, you no. you relax as no. part of meeting your needs, but you don't just stop um, trying to grow. I guess it's 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 a lifelong, healthy, satisfying process. I guess that that yes, is yeah. depicting. Um, yeah, and the key word is process, isn't it? There, it's dynamic. It's evolving. Uh, it's always yeah. changing and you're always growing, always becoming more fully yourself uh, once you've moved beyond that comfort zone period, which he doesn't mean in a disparaging way. It just means that we need to have those needs satisfied in our comfort zone before we can, well, move further forward. It's not an either or, of course. I mean, you know, even if some deficiency needs are not getting fully met, creative work, for example, can still be achieved naturally. But sure. it's just that it might not have been as uh, easy or as fulfilling an achievement if those deficiency needs were much more satisfied. Yeah, absolutely. And and I guess the um, one of the things that I find interesting about Maslow's way of thinking is that we, you know, these these deficiency needs that you described. You know the need for belonging, intimacy. Um, we we all share these, so and, and in some ways we're all quite similar in the specific deficiency needs we have. But in a way, as you meet those and move further up the hierarchy, there's a sense that you're more individual. 
um, maybe more unique traits start to shine through and, and that's maybe a little bit more where you start to forge a more of a unique path you know more of a purpose that's much more authentic and and, and, and unique to you um, as yeah. opposed to being maybe more stuck in the kind of more widely experienced deficiency needs relating to say low self-esteem or loneliness or, or whatever particular need it may yeah. be well, I mean, that's a very good point, that the, the growth needs, uh, which is exploration, love and purpose, as uh, Kaufman defines them, yep. are what you would call part of your individuation. So becoming more fully who you are as an individual, but which is the fascinating thing here is that as you become more an individual, you also connect more widely with uh, other people and with indeed the universe itself in some way you become much yep. more interconnected so it's um it's the thing of um when your deficiency needs are not getting met um you're much more dependent on people and circumstances when they are satisfied enough and you're growing enough as a person, you reach a stage of interdependence, which is you become more fully yourself, but you're also much more deeply connected to the, the world at large. Uh, so you that you, you reach a stage of interdependence, uh, which is connected to transcendence. We'll get to that late, later on. Yeah, I think that's a great point, isn't it? That it's um, it's a, it's an interesting path that people take, whereby as you as you described, they do become more independent, more autonomous, but actually in a way more more loving in a sort of mm -hmm. um, the way the way that Kaufman describes it is that the, the, sh the emphasis shifts maybe from say the need to receive love and, yeah. and validation to to give it you know there's a real sense of connection that comes but a, but alongside a kind of inner strength actually whereby there's less dependency in a way so Indeed. it's a, it's, a, it's like yeah. the best of both worlds um, I, I, and as it you is, said well, yeah. Sorry, well, well Though, so yeah, we'll obviously come more to the issue of transcendence itself, but I guess just as a kind of preview for that, the the idea being that you know as you reach the pinnacle, you've almost actually become completely connected in a way, both completely individual and completely connected at the same time. In in this this yes, system. well maybe maybe what we should say really is that yeah, we become more connected, and we might have periods of feeling completely connected which is what peak experiences are so sure. you know these peak experiences are like an intimation of a underlying reality that underlying interconnectedness which we can't be tapped into uh most of the time like our broad you know having an internet yeah. connection but it's not <laughs> going to be like that but we have bouts of that of that connection, which gives us a, a sense of how the world really is. I mean, this is how somebody like Colin Wilson, who was also a, um, you know, a devotee of, of Maslow, uh, that he, he saw these peak experiences as giving us a, a deeper sense of how things really are, an intimation of the world itself. And probably Maslow uh, would agree with that. He, he did want to write a book with Colin Wilson, so I imagine that he did agree with that perspective too. And that, but I think it's a good point you make there to emphasise that this is, you know, this isn't a, again a permanent state. This is a, you know, as you say, no. more like glimpses of that. We, we can't live in this kind of nirvanic state permanently. You know, that's not really what he's he's actually suggesting here. But but yeah, we get this sense of 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 the real depths of life at times. You know, in these kind of yes. peak moments, I guess. Yeah. Well, it might, um, you know, it might be analogous in the sense of when we have a 
a, a deep, you know, we, we're talking to someone and we have a deep connection with them, how energised it could be, but it's not something permanent. And, it, you know, it's almost like we've got that connection with the universe in a peak experience uh, in, in that journey the length of that peak experience, but not obviously continuously. Not continually, yeah. Um, um, but yes, and I think also just one last thing I'd say on this point is that if our deficiency needs are not met enough, then we're more in this state of self-consciousness, which is different to self-actualization. So, you know, the self-consciousness is more aware of uh, the ego in some way, you know, the sense of how maybe perceived inadequacy compared to others and things like that. That That is a different self to the self that is actualizing in, in Maslow's sense. So you, just just to, to see yeah. that distinction, really. V- very good point, actually. There's a nice little quote from Kaufman, which I, 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 I was hoping to get in here, which ties in exactly with what you described there. Um, he says that so many people are striving for transcendence without a healthy integration of their other needs to the detriment of their full potential there is a lot of pseudo-transcendence going on, resting on a very shaky foundation. And so, yeah, you, you can imagine in the case of where people are are striving and, and in some way trying to succeed or, or get on or, or you know achieve mm-hmm. a kind of happiness, but when certain deficiencies are not being attended to, it can't be self-actualization in, in the way that Maslow imagined it. There'll just no. be that that gulf, you know, that that gulf in their core that will be felt, but maybe not even completely understood consciously. Or, no, but it'll be there, and it'll be it'll be sour in the, the overall sense of well-being. Um, yes, yeah, and and I think this ties in with something that Carl Rogers uh, spoke about because he he spoke about. Um, the organism actualizing over the self. So I mean, I'm no, I know that isn't quite the same as as Maslow's view, but you know, the, the actualizing isn't just the ego; it's something beyond the ego. I mean, it includes it, it transcends the ego. Actually, it's a, another form of transcendence. It transcends yep. the ego, and it is a more expansive and developing self. So yes, it's not about you know, actualizing our, our ego or making our egos bigger. So, yes, I mean, this kind of gets us on to the, the next thing, you know, maybe more precisely looking at, well, what, what do we mean? by self-actualizing. I mean, you know, how, how would you take that that term, that phrase? Yeah, I think it's very important, isn't it, to, to, to get a handle on this one because some, yeah. for, for some people it might sound a little bit flowery, you know, a, a little bit kind of vague, but he, he does have something quite specific in mind here. I thought one way to, to look at it is to maybe contrast it with another phrase that, that's used a lot, which is aspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in this book, uh, Kaufman points out repeatedly that um, a lot of people go down a blind alley when it comes to attempting to actualize or improve themselves and that is they get too caught up in things like status money mm-hmm. power and these things and uh, aspiration which is what often um, particularly politicians like to talk about mm-hmm. it's something that's very tainted with more materialistic values you know it has connotations of climbing a say a social hierarchy getting promotions making money and it's not to say that there's anything wrong with these things per se they they may be part of the process of self-actualization for certain people mm-hmm. but i think the key point is this is 
something much broader. Um, it's about the 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 self as a whole. Um, developing it's not specifically just about wealth or status although these may may change as part of it so i guess it's i guess part of self-actualization is, is striking this balance um now there, i think for me when we come to the higher to the growth needs that we, we alluded mm-hmm, to earlier mm-hmm. um self-actualization i guess is the process why whereby our, our deficiency needs are reasonably well satisfied. We're also exploring some of these higher needs um, to the point that we've really maybe come to terms with our own kind of more authentic wishes. You know, there's something that we really, really value and treasure in life that we are at least a part of our life is being dedicated to with all the the satisfaction that would come from that. Um, Another nice quote actually from Kaufman on that point um, is that he, he says that even if all of the basic needs are satisfied, we may still often expect that a new discontent and restlessness will develop unless the individual is doing what he or she individually is fitted for. Mm-hmm. Um, a musician, actually, this is a Maslow quote, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, no, this is Kaufman quoting Maslow. Um, mm-hmm. A musician must make music, an artist must paint, a poet must write if he is to ultimately be at peace with himself. So I, I think for me, the self actualization means that the individual has got to the point that they have really got a sense of purpose in life they they it doesn't need to be grand actually it doesn't need to be statusy it's just something that they can or maybe multiple things that they can invest their time and energy in that are really feel rewarding and give them that sense of equanimity um and just the you know rightness with the universe and i think that that would be a kind of life that was was quite rich and quite varied and um, yeah, we'd have I would have the the key ingredients that we'd we'd be looking for in terms of the needs at all the different levels. Um, yes. so that's my my kind of take on it. What what did you think? What was your well, take on um, self-actualization? I think it might be good just to to respond to you know the comprehensive view that you just gave there, and you know a couple of things I would say is that yeah, that was a very good point about politicians focusing on aspiration, yep. which as you say is not the same is self-actualization. I mean, Maslow is not against aspiration per se, but he actually has higher aspirations than the focus of aspiration. And, <laughs> Indeed, and, yeah. and that's And that's because you can see why politicians focus on aspiration, because if you look at... Um, maybe we could Maybe we could make a sort of distinction between the safety and growth in the... The safety needs, sorry, the yeah, the safety needs, the deficiency needs are about, um, you know, becoming, you know, they're individualistic in a sense, whereas yep. the growth needs are about individuating. So the, the difference there is that aspiration would be the highest goal if we're only thinking in individualistic terms rather than in individuating terms, okay. because self-esteem is at the apex, so to speak of deficiency needs. So if that's all that you comprehended, aspiration would be seen as the be-all, end-all of life. You know, if you didn't yep. think about the growth dimension, the individuating dimension. So you can sort of see why, particularly in a more individualistic society, that, that, that politicians would think that was the apex of well, it's e- uh, how Well, it's easy, be. I guess, isn't it? You, you get the big house, the well-paid job, and the big car, and that's the end of the story, and that's essentially well. It is, and it the, would be the end of the story if that's all that we were made of, if that's what human nature was, uh, you know, simply focused on, which would be, you know, 
security, that would be food and housing, connection, a sense of belonging, intimacy, and then also self-esteem, you know, getting a uh, having a good career. If that if that was us, then yes, aspiration would be the, the pinnacle there. But Maslow is saying that we're so much more than that, that that is an impoverished sense of being human, really. Absolutely, yeah. And so that, that, that so that, yeah, I think that was a very good point about the politicians there and their ideology aspiration. <laughs> I think also this thing about, as you say, you know, if we're individuating, we're focused on intrinsic uh, needs and desires. So, you know, that quote from Maslow, we have him saying, the musician must make music. The artist must paint. Now, this is this is quite different to how people make their life choices because we hear, um, you know, when I counsel students, for example, I hear them saying, "Well, I'm studying this subject because I think it, 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 you know, I'll make a good income from it," which is not a bad thing at all, obviously, but it's not got the same sort of focus as what Maslow's saying. I think Maslow, and he might be seen as being idealistic here, would be saying that you want to study or pursue a career that you feel as an individual intrinsically you must do. But not many people make their choices in that way, and it's debatable whether they end up paying for it in some way, even if they actually make a good salary. Yeah, it's a great point, isn't it? I mean, there's on the one hand, as you said, there's a balance to be struck, and and obviously it sounds idealistic. You know, people people need to earn money. They don't always come upon the dream job, and there there might actually not be a job that's a perfect fit, I guess, for their own particular talent. But if, on the other hand, they simply don't explore those talents, even in their you know their free time out of work, if they don't have a, 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 some aspect of their life dedicated to what they really deeply value, whether it has money-making potential or not, then, it's, you know, really it will come at the expense of their, their sense of well-being and contentment in life. You know, there's there's really no getting away from that. It has There has to be attention to that, I guess, in some way. Yeah, I mean, if, if it's... I mean, if somebody chooses a career path based on intrinsic desire and also for some in extrinsic reasons as well that need not be a problem yeah it's just the balance really that if if they've chosen it um you know without having that intrinsic interest or not having enough of that then it may be that they crash and burn later in life you know the the, the cliche of the midlife crisis uh, the reggie the reggie parent syndrome where they have the sense of futility and meaningless in what they're doing because they don't see value in what they're doing at least for them it's yeah indeed i mean i guess value is key isn't it i mean the uh, you know the self-actualizing person is acting from their own values, not from those of some, you know, company that they happen to work for or some government or whatever it may be. It's it, there has to be an expression of their own values, and yeah, I guess if they they can have a wonderful salary in a in a big fancy house, but feel impotent, you know, or, or castrated in some way from actually, you know, really um, pursuing their own values, and that is a terrible state of despair, actually, regardless of your your wealth. It's, yes, it's simply yeah. Um, um, it, it's just that the. The, the focus on intrinsic uh, desire, intrinsic needs is maybe not so much emphasised really because if we were being honest, I think that actually it's this idea of 
being a cog in the machine, you know, sort of fitting into society is emphasised a lot more than uh, what you feel that you have to do, you know, like an inner dictate to do, you know, what 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 fascinates you, you know, what moves you. Um, yep. That this is more what Maslow's emphasis is here. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Maybe another point, actually, that comes to mind, obviously you mentioned Freud um, earlier Mm -hmm. on, uh, Alex, and, you know, one of the nice things about self-actualization, I think, as Maslow saw it, was that obviously for Freud, you know, that the the ordinary man or woman, you Mm -hmm. know, had a bit of a grim grim lot, really, you know, this idea that you can just really get from being neurotic to being ordinarily unhappy, and of course, you know, ordinary people back in Freud's, they couldn't have afforded the therapy necessarily Mm -hmm. to shift them into the ordinary unhappiness, Mm. but... For, there, there's a real democratic vibe to to Maslow. Um, I mean, he, there's a nice quote that Kaufman includes where uh, Maslow says, "I think of the self-actualizing man not as an ordinary man with something added, but as the ordinary man with nothing taken away." And mm-hmm. it's this really optimistic view, actually, that we are, we are born with this potential, and we all have potential for for something meaningful and enjoyable. And it's really, and of course, sometimes life circumstances are cruel to people, but it's there. And you know, if we can able, if we can make better choices for ourselves, we can all actually experience something of this. You know, so th- this is this is something that's that's there for us all, and yes. can really, yeah. um, you know. And I think the fact that it doesn't rest on great material success necessarily. You know, there's so many other ways to to find that kind of satisfaction. You know, it is quite a quite an optimistic um, prognosis that that Maslow had for people. Well, it is. Yeah, I mean it. it- it's been it's going to be difficult to actualize that worldview when you know and we're just talking very broadly here that political systems tend to break into being too commutarian or too individualistic because you know his the process of self actualizing unites the two you know both the individual and society and the world at large yeah. uh, whereas we tend to have ideologies that privilege overprivilege either society or the individual and Maslow yep. would I imagine would say that if we are inhabiting that kind of political system then it is going to vaunt uh, say belonging over say self-esteem and ambition or you know aspiration over um connection and things like that so yeah the the unsurprisingly the political system would have to make room for that uniting of both the society and the individual whereas we tend to have systems that vaunt one over the other it's a great point yeah absolutely so i guess that this is you know um maslow's work and now kaufman's uh, work on Maslow, you know, provides that little um, antidote, I guess, to the prevailing ideology of wh- whichever society we happen to be in. Because as you say, chances are it's unbalanced in one direction. You know, there will be needs that, that are not being, that, you know, deficiency needs that are being neglected and that we're not being encouraged to really satisfy, dependent yes. on, as you say, whether it's more yeah, um, individualistic or more kind of collectivist minded a, a, a kind of society.
now the next thing we we're going to talk about was the was the, the famous the pyramid or, of course yeah. it was never a pyramid that Maslow drew but the, the hierarchy the diagram and, and Kaufman's reworking yes. of this so, yeah, yeah I mean I thought that was I thought that was interesting when reading the book that I wasn't aware that the the hierarchy the pyramid model wasn't actually Maslow's and it was more the invention of some management guru or management professor and that was interesting because um you know, I can see why that would be too simplistic. As Kaufman himself says, uh, Maslow's not talking about self-growth as though it was a video game. You complete one level, you move on to the next, and there's no yeah. there's no connection between the levels. And that's how that pyramid model conveys it. And, and I think, obviously, in management, uh, it would be convenient to to simplify it in that way and also see it as quite a linear process, step by step, because it's about managing people and, uh, you know, then progressing up this sort of ladder, but in this case, a pyramid. But yeah, that's not how Maslow himself saw it, that he saw it as, again, that the needs were interconnected. It's not as though one becomes um, unimportant or you become disconnected from it as you move to higher needs it's not like that at all i mean they they mutually support each other it's just that you know if you're too focused on say connection satisfying that it will be harder to to say maybe uh focus on things like purpose you know one the deficiency needs can dominate our attention if they're not satisfied enough but uh, it's not to say if we're pursuing love and purpose that these these earlier needs, so to speak, are not uh, still you know playing a part in our lives. So yes, it's it's. I think with Kaufman's model, the sailboat model, that I think that was a, a more useful metaphor because uh, you know he's he's talking about the you know the deficiency needs being the you know the the bottom of the, the the ship, and then obviously if they are not satisfied, you can't really sail. You can't really explore. If they are, then you can sail. They're part of the. Uh, well, I don't know what all the terms is a sailboat, but you know the actual. You can sail and explore if the if the rudder and such is is uh, secure. So I think that it was useful in that way, you know. Um, and it also explains why if the deficiency needs are not getting satisfied enough, then it's survival. It's about making sure that you don't sink, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 I completely agree with you there. I think um, I think Kaufman was right to identify that essentially that maybe the most important division in this hierarchy is between the two categories of needs, as you said. And, and yeah, the deficiency, which just keeps you afloat in some sense. And then the, the, the B realm of needs, the being needs, you know, those, the growth needs yeah. that get you somewhere more fulfilling. Um, it, just on the on the earlier point you made about management and about the, the hierarchy and the pyramid diagram that was created to show mm. this kind of level to level. It's interesting, isn't it, that Maslow those ideas you know they're they're very kind of cpd friendly you know when it comes to a sort of corporate environment mm. and there is often that slight danger in a way maybe that maslow's message could be just slightly slanted to just almost match up with the idea of a kind of a ladder whereby your you know your development as a person is just seen as almost simultaneous with your career development such yeah. as you move up the organizational hierarchy but yeah you're quite right it was more on the one hand it's true that the lower needs do need to be satisfied whereby the higher needs can then 
you know, have a chance to kind of blossom. But on the other hand, it's not, yeah, it's not like you move from one stage to the other and then you remain there and you move up. It's a much more fluid, messy process, I guess, than that, whereby, you know, you, you never stop attending to your deficiency needs and maybe sometimes they become predominant for a while. You know, you maybe become a bit burnt out from work and you, you need to just really recuperate and focus on the kind of more physical side for a little while. But, you know, and then, but then maybe other higher needs get a chance to re, re-emerge. So it's definitely something messy. But yeah, I, I would agree with you. I thought the sailboat metaphor was quite a good one, actually, for just kind of um, simplifying this and also grouping it into the two categories that, that um, you know, that work quite well in terms of the idea of staying afloat and getting somewhere. Yes, um, yeah. Well, and, and I think also a good difference between the Kaufman model and the Pyramid model is that certainly the, the models I've seen... Uh, they've got the second last rung as self-esteem and then the last one self-actualizing. But they don't really spell out what that means, whereas the Kaufman model does break it down into exploration, love and purpose. And he also adds in the transcendence part too. And you you could see why those things, in a way, it would be difficult to talk about love purpose and, and, and transcendent experiences that led maybe in an overly corporate environment. And so <laughs> so it's almost like that they you can see in a corporate environment they, they would want to to vaunt uh, the self-esteem aspect because you know that that's that aspiration again. But you know the the needs or the, the needs even above that, yeah you wouldn't necessarily look for that in a corporate environment, perhaps. Um, well, I mean, I, things I, like if transcendence is the highest thing, that might not happen in a corporate setting, for example. I, well, exactly, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, it's a good point. So, for example, as you said, if self-esteem is thought to be, say, higher than mm. your, the, you know, the belonging needs, um, you know, you, just to, to take a concrete example, you could imagine a situation where somebody, you know, really wants to impress their boss. You know, they're looking, they're thinking about promotion, so they're focusing on their image within the company. But, you know, that could be done to a degree that starts to alienate them from their workmates. And therefore, they might feel quite a lonely person that is quite well thought of and maybe has excellent, you know, prospects and a slightly Machiavellian way for, mm. you know, climbing the greasy pole. But again, um, of course, that's not necessarily authentic self-esteem. But reg- regardless of that fact, yeah, I think I think this idea that, you know, there, there's this this um, actualization is this slightly mystical but poorly defined state at the top that just rests above really strong self-esteem. I think mm. that, that that is actually quite misleading. So I think that Maslow himself probably wouldn't have greatly appreciated the pyramid model, as, as Kaufman kind of suggests. It maybe no, doesn't really no. do him justice there. And I think I think also that the the pyramid model may mislead people into thinking that when we're talking about when Maslow was talking about self esteem, he was talking about uh, actualizing you know your self image, which is not what what he was referring to at all. He would be talking about having a, a sense of self-worth and a sense of self-mastery. So, you know, feeling the sense of competency in what you're doing and also feeling that you're val- you're valuable because you're doing that. That's what he meant by self-esteem. But it's so easy for self-esteem, especially in 
you know, the world that we inhabit to think it's about enhancing your self-image. It's about propagandizing yourself. And that's yes. not what I think he was referred to at all under self-esteem. Yeah, that's a great point, because in fact, actually, it, Kaufman in this book suggests that in a way that the antithesis of the kind of self-esteem that you're describing, you know, where it's more you value yourself, you know, you feel that you are legitimately good in some respect and you feel a healthy pride about it. The opposite of that is something more narcissistic, actually, you know, and he, Kaufman, um, it's interesting, he brings in the issue of narcissism in a way to almost mm -hmm. detoxify it by suggesting that it's the thing we all suffer from when we get too caught up in trying to get other people's approval. You know, when, when our self-esteem rests on the, the shaky foundation foundation of imagined approval or mm -hmm. you know strategies to try to look good we're actually we're not in the realm of the kind of self-esteem Maslow was talking about at all no. there actually we're, we're in we're in the you know more toxic territory where we're, we're we're becoming much more dependent on the potential vacillating viewpoints yes. of others and you know um, it can be a very uh, self-destructive route to go down actually this this fixation with image and putting yeah. across a positive image yeah. well it, it would be a bit uh a self-destructive route to go down because if you were getting caught up in your self-image, it would be hard to move beyond that for, for one thing because exploration, love and purpose are um, what Viktor Frankl would call self-transcending uh, goals. In other words, yep. the focus is on these things, not on oneself, whereas the self-image by its very definition nature is self-focused. Really, it's it's like turning everything, making the world into a mirror of oneself um, to glorify the self. And, and philosophers like Spinoza would would say that the ego is constituted by imagination. You know, it's constituted by images. So the ego, by you, you know, the ego has to. If if the ego is taking over too much, we're going to be focused overly on our self-image. It's it's almost impossible for human beings not to have a self-image at all. Uh, but but you know, if you're getting so narcissistically focused on it, you won't be able to see beyond yourself to that realm of love, beauty, truth that Maslow's talking about uh, when we grow as people. It's a, yeah, it's a great point. And I think actually, and, and again, Kaufman covers this this issue, that we're in a bit of a minefield these days in the world of social media when it comes to actually yes. navigating that, um, you know, maintaining our self-esteem, maintaining our other needs like connection with people and avoiding some of these traps. Um, there was quite a good quote, actually, again, I noted from Kaufman where he says that social media simultaneously enlarges the possibility of forming loving relationships whilst also making it easier to avoid forming meaningful ones. This is due in part to the allure of mass acceptance over individual connection, a powerful evolutionary deep-seated allure that is leading us away from wholeness. And I think that's it, isn't it? When we're thinking mm. too much about our social media presentation of ourselves and the idea of getting, you know, thumbs up from people, this is the ultimate non-intimate form of affirmation. And it's also, again, sort of um, giving the thumbs up power away when we should actually be giving thumbs up to ourselves, you know, for things that we think are, are, are you know, legitimate achievements or yes. strengths. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's so much to... To, to be said about this. Maybe I should just add the disclaimer that we do want likes on social media for our podcast. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll accept them. Uh, we're not indeed, critiquing yes. it entirely. Of course. Um, yep. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, yeah, 
I mean, it's a it's a complex issue because uh, social media can give us a sense of healthy self-esteem up to a point. Again, it would have to be used carefully, wisely, but it could up to a point. I don't want to say that it that, that it's entirely unhealthy by any means, because that would be too too sweeping. But one of the one of the dangers here is is you know something that Carl Rogers, another humanistic psychologist, would say is that yeah, with social media, because well, you know, I think it was back in the in in the seventies that Norman Mailer wrote a book called Advertisements for Myself. Mm-hmm. And the danger is that your your social media becomes that. It becomes an advertisement when you say for myself, but you're really meaning your self-image. Yeah. And so it could actually lead us to over-identify literally things like Instagram literally with our image. And this this habit of creating an advertisement for your life um, if taken too far, I think that's when, you know, you're really consolidating your ego, that self-image, rather than the healthy self-esteem that Maslow is talking about. It also, you know, Roger spoke about this idea of conditions of worth. So it, it was uh, this idea, you've got to be X, Y, and Z to be a worthy person. So you can see people can use social media for that basis. Uh, you know, they, they will convey that they have certain things so that they then seem as worthy, but really it's just perpetuating this unhealthy way of valuing yourself, you know, extrinsically compared to intrinsically, which is that you are the own judge of uh, yourself in terms of what, what is fulfilling for you. I, I quite agree. Yeah, I mean, as you said, I think that this is the point, isn't it? It can, it can be used in a way that could boost your self-esteem social media, but it could also, and I think some people do put themselves in a place where essentially they're just one disappointing, underappreciated post away from feeling really wretched about themselves, you know, um, when essentially their self-esteem rises and falls with, you know, the last post in terms of how, how well it went down with others. And and that is not a good place to be. That's not going to be a growth no. Well, you see that that one of the difficulties with social media is that our self-esteem becomes a bit like the stock market. So if we get loads of likes and likes from the right people, the the people that we want to get likes from, whoever they may be, then we might feel elated for a while. On the other hand, if if we don't get those things, it could be like we have a a self-esteem crash, like a stock market crash. (laughs) And so the self-esteem can go up and down, up and down. And of course, this is why it's so addictive. Um, But in terms, I mean, it's great for the social media companies because it's addictive to try and raise your your self-esteem just like you would try and get your stocks going up. But but in terms of our mental health, in terms of our self-actualizing, you know, we get caught in this, you know, this black hole. We could get caught in this black hole of despair. I mean, you know, I, I, I've heard a number of clients say to me how, uh, how they arrange their social media you know, to give people a certain window into their life. Um, so they see it as a construction when it's themselves, but when they've looked at, say, friends or exes' uh, pages, they don't see it as a construction. They think they're just seeing their life unmediated, and then yep. they feel awful. 
it's, and it's yeah. quite fascinating that that they know it's constructed when they do it, but they forget about it being constructed when it's someone else. Yeah, it's really diabolical, actually, isn't it? That everybody can see through their own construction, so therefore everybody is, unless they're they're highly, I guess, narcissistically delusional. You know, they're they're highly aware in a sense that they're putting across a particular image that doesn't really represent all of their life. But as you say, because we're such, I guess, comparative creatures, and you know, we're, we're we are actually often taken in by maybe the posts of others that portray something really quite idyllic or highly desirable, then yeah, we can't but help, you know, sometimes implicitly assume, yeah, that's what that person's life is like. Look how wonderful it is. Oh, goodness. And then feel, you know, feel awful about ourselves. But um, of course, everybody's playing the same game, actually. So everybody suffers under a under that kind of mentality, well, you know, or that do. misuse of, of social media, I guess. Well, I'm just thinking about, say, John Hughes's movie, The Breakfast Club, which was made in the mid-80s, where, you know, the kids are in detention. Mm -hmm. Superficially, they seem very distinct, but over the course of the day, uh, they start opening up about how they really feel and realise that that they're they're quite similar um, and they connect quite deeply. I wonder how that would pan out nowadays with social media, really, in that... um, would there be more a sense of wanting to maintain the image that they have of themselves and uh, not get to that more underlying vulnerability that helps us connect? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really nice example. I guess, yeah, that's what, so, so nice about that film is, is exactly that. The, you know, the putting the, the image, you know, the kind of first impression of the kind of person they are, putting that aside, actually, and letting the more vulnerable, authentic core out. You know, that's a hard thing to do at the best of times, but never mind when, yeah, you, you, you maybe fear something, somebody will immediately go and post about you on, on, on social media based on something you've revealed. You know, that's a that really is quite a, a scary place to be. So, um, yes, it is. Yeah. It is. And, um, and, 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 so, yeah, maintaining that self-image could mean that we alienate ourselves from the self that actualizes and also the self that connects more deeply with, uh, with others and with, with the others, wider yeah. world, really. So I guess in terms then of, of, you know, the antidote to that, um, I guess, faulty self-esteem or or maybe, you know, um, overuse of social media in a kind of, you know, mentally unhealthy way, um, there's the issue of of the more peak and and transcendent experiences, you know, that are an integral part of of self-actualising and, and of course, a part that that lift us, you know, from the ego Mm. focus that, you know, Mm. to really take us out of ourselves and that are seen as, you know, that Mm. I think in, in Maslow and... Kaufman's take on Maslow are so important. Um, what what was your how how would you define these peak experiences then, Alec? What, what what's your take on those? Yeah, the way I would define the the peak experience is when you've got that sense of being uh, most fully yourself and yet most intimately connected with the world as at large. So it, it's it, it's yep. it's transcending this dichotomy of being an individual and the world, you know, self versus the world. 
These are united in the peak experience. You become most fully yourself, while simultaneously you're the most you're the most connected or uh, wired into the the world at large. You know that that's what I would say the peak experience is. It is a transcendence of that uh, small smaller narrower and isolated self which is the ego you know because Spinoza says in the ethics that uh, he doesn't use the word ego but he says that humans see themselves as a kingdom within a kingdom and that's what the ego would would see itself as is this isolated uh, kingdom within a kingdom but but you know separated from that bigger kingdom in a peak experience the self is most fully itself and most connected to the world at large. So it's the most expansive experience, and that's why it's uh, connected to to elation, to joy and wonder. Yeah, I, I think that's a great description of it. Um, I was thinking it might be helpful maybe, you know, just to, to a few kind of concrete examples yeah. of that. Um, one that struck me, and it's a very, I guess it's, this is probably quite a cliched example of, of that kind of moment that you're describing, but I have, I have a very vivid memory of the one and only time I've ever seen Niagara Falls uh, when I was visiting Canada. And I, I was only 17 or, or, or so at the time. And, you know, it was the, the experience of walking to the, the bottom mm. of the street and suddenly the falls appear. And it was a very powerful feeling that I I would describe as being strangely mesmerizing but calming at the same time there was something deeply compelling but but there was a sense of self-loss in that in that moment and i think um you know one type of i guess peak or transcendent transcendent experience that's often given is the idea of maybe a you know a it could be looking out the window of an air, an airplane or, you know, something where mm. really the self shrinks a lot, maybe in the face of, of the world, something physical that's that's bigger and, and timeless. And, you know, th- this is, that's just one, one example maybe of a way in which we can maybe just be temporarily lifted from ourselves. But, I mean, they don't have to be um, to do with, you know, an experience in nature. I don't know. Can can you think of any other well, examples that would maybe I mean, I, help people to? I mean, it is possible for for someone uh, writing a symphony for it to still be a peak experience because, again, there's that enlargement of the self, that sense of being connected to, to something bigger. Bigger doesn't necessarily mean spatially bigger. I mean, you know, the all, the most obvious examples are, as you say, with the Niagara Falls or looking up at the stars, uh, that sense of the sublime. So it can be something that's spatially big, but it doesn't need to be necessarily. But it's 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 the sense of, um, yeah, the ordinary boundaries of the self are loosened, relaxed, and uh, that that sense of. Uh, expansiveness and you could have that with a creative insight at that sense of it, it might be like a mini peak experience you know a creative insight in, in some ways and I, I guess i mean if the criteria are things like loss of self-awareness self-consciousness you know lack of fear lack of anxiety i guess that experience could also come in conversation with somebody maybe where you're yes. very absorbed or even reading something yeah. that just you've forgotten yourself you're lost in it these are these i guess would you agree would these also be counted as peak experiences yeah. as well yeah i mean um, I, I would and colin wilson would have included them because i think he wrote about peak experiences as much as maslow did he wasn't a a formally trained academic but it was an i the, the notion of the peak experience uh 
fascinated him throughout his life. It, it became his life purpose to look at uh, the nature of peak experiences. And yeah, I think he would include um, certain experiences that might be ordinarily quite normal or typical. Um, as you say, you know, getting lost in a, a deep conversation or reading a novel and uh, some insight coming from it, uh, that these can be peak, many peak experiences at least, in, in some ways. Um, and, and I guess in terms of our mental health, you know, if, if, the, if these experiences do have that, you know, kind of, that that really rich um, self transcendence about them, you know, the the more of these we can inject in our day to day life, I guess the more we can become unself conscious for specific periods of time, even if it's maybe lost in a piece of work actually that's really you know satisfying us and we're just you know really at one with yeah. it. Um, this is this is good, you know. This is this is actually going to steer us in the direction of of health. Yes, um, oh, oh, definitely. Yes, and 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 I think it's maybe good to to point out that when we're talking about transcendence, that it need not necessarily always be connected to some ecstatic experience. Uh, when we're talking yeah. about transcendence, we're, well, what I think he was talking about anyway is, is transcending that usual uh, ego self, really, the self that we tend to carry about with ourselves day to day, which is a which is a bit like a prison in, in some ways, you know, that uh, it, we feel a sense of alienation at times from others and from the world at large, and that is transcended um, when we have these peak experiences. But yeah, I think also one of the values of the, the transcendent experience is that well, a meaningful life in terms of our mental health, if we want to lead a meaningful life, we've got to be connected to um, the fundamental as good aspects of our lives, which is, you know, goodness, truth, beauty, you know, like these key values of what makes a meaningful life. Absolutely. And if we, are, if we are locked into our ego, we won't really have the energy nor the focus to... Uh, dedicate ourselves to these three key values, you know, truth, goodness, and beauty that make a meaningful life. It's a great point. And, and of course, they're values that aren't just experienced in splendid isolation necessarily. No. You know, I mean, I think one of the things I liked about Kaufman's book was that he was emphasising that as Maslow got older, actually, he was maybe slightly um, feeling that he'd over individual or maybe given too much of an individualistic spin to the whole process of self-actualization mm. because this kind of transcendence could be achieved in a highly social um experience yes. it could be some kind of um community work you know it could be some you know something caring that's being done for others you know again there's a loss of self and all that kind of those those kinds of moments that isn't necessarily the kind of image of the the sort of romantic poet at one with nature but a very different kind of transcendence that's more social but you yes. know both both are hi obviously highly desirable and uh, and so yeah i think um that i think that is it kind of there's a nice sort of sense of, of a completed circle in a way with the the, the transcendence for me which is the, yes, the idea that yeah. people acting on these purer values lead them to be better contributors i guess you know better social creatures actually well um, yes yeah that that's that that's because if we call it the higher self, the higher self is, this is something that Rogers, Cal Rogers wrote about as well, is that it is pro-social. Uh, 
Yeah. The higher self exists in that interconnected world, whereas the ego is more immured from the rest of the world. It is more cut off from the rest of the world. Um, and if we think about Martin Buber, the, the famous theologian and philosopher, when he spoke about I-it and I-thou relationships, it's the higher self that, that has transcended the ego that can do the I-thou connection to things, whether it is people, nature, the universe, an idea. Uh, the higher self can do that, whereas the ego, which is alienated to some extent, from the wider world, it can only manage I, it, it can manipulate and dominate the, the world or other people, but it can't really connect with them in the way that higher self can. Yeah, great point. Yeah, so I guess that as we, you know, spoke about earlier in the podcast, you know, this this idea of this process of, of meeting these needs in a way can shift us into almost like a different mode of being in a way that whether, whether we're by ourselves or whether with others, as you say, the, the key to it all is that there's this, I guess, this openness, this non-egotistic way of engaging with, with whatever may come our way that um that is also fulfilling you know and so we get into that virtuous cycle whereby you know we're getting more from people when we meet them we're not comparing ourselves to them all the time and feeling mm. bad about ourselves we're actually you know there's a there's a more as you say a more i thou a more connectedness um at play that's that's only going to um and you know enha enhance both our own self-esteem actually and our, our relationships with them well um, yes i mean comparison I mean, if you pick up any, practically any self-help book nowadays, I mean, I know this is a, a, you know, a sweeping statement, but, you know, a hyperbole, but, you know, the issue of comparison comes up and how it's the thief of joy. And, and so, yeah, making comparisons does make us unhappy. Uh, to, to make a comparison, whether it's favourable or not, there has to be a very clear sense of you and the other person very yes. much distinct yep whereas if if you're if you're inhabiting that higher self um the the the, the sort of division between you and others is not nearly as stark and so comparisons don't actually hurt as much you, you wouldn't even be that focused on them because the, the, the thing is that if if you're leading that transcendent life, that the most meaningful life, you you're trying to um you know, inhabit that value of good the values of goodness, truth and beauty, you know, these three core values which are in a sense something that are above you in a way. <laughs> and so you're kind of putting yourself as second to them. You're dedicating your life to these values if you're wanting to lead the most meaningful life, whereas the ego always sees itself as number one. Um, so it's yeah. not dedicated to anything, whereas that higher self capable of transcendence, it's capable of transcending itself because it's dedicated to these these core fundamental values. And, and in so doing, feels stronger, actually, has a sense of mastery and a sense of um, not maybe imperviousness to, you know, maybe negative slights or you know negative comparisons but certainly would be much less shaken by those i guess you know a person would be just a much sense of of comfortable in their own skin i guess if they're that yes they're that kind of yeah. person well the um, the the thing about the the ego is that because it wants to be 
number one, which is an impossible thing to attain. Uh, And even if you do reach it in in some venture, it's impossible to maintain. So the ego's very much connected to insecurity, instability. You know, this this sense of the your self-esteem being like the stock market going up yes. and down. Yeah. Um, whereas the, the higher self, the self that is actualizing, is focused on things that are not oneself, but things that you're in relation to and that you're dedicated to. Uh, that you you transcend yourself your your selfish interest to dedicate yourself to these higher values, um, and they don't change. Yes, of course. Yeah, the, yeah, the timeless quality. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think you put it extremely well there, Alex. Um, I, so I guess I mean a, a, a sort of final thing we often like to do is is to to think about what this the specific book is meant to us or what we might kind of you know remember most vividly from this um i i was just thinking one of the things i quite like about this book transcend is that it is it's, it seems to be quite a nice kind of compendium of of insights into into how to you know healthy men you know healthy mental health and good habits and things to to that people could follow um it's it's quite useful in a way because it, the the way of of splitting the topic into the different needs seems to kind of cover quite a wide range of common pitfalls you know um wrong-headed attitudes and has quite a nice little um and of course brings in a lot of the the science you know a lot of the neuroscience and psychology in terms of you know research into into you know good mental health so um i i think for me i i would uh you know see this as quite a useful book to dip into at times for that nice kind of summary of these different yes. topics you know narcissism where you know how does it manifest where does it you know where does it go slightly wrong for people and things like that so um what what what's your thoughts what what would you think you would your kind of well i think i think maslow's model and how kaufman has updated it and refined the metaphor for it, I, I, you know, I really enjoyed it as an account of human nature, um, a way of making sense of how we could grow as a person. I think that's a great model, and I think, like for my therapy work, it, it's a a good way of thinking at least some of the time, not necessarily all of the time, because you don't want to impose just you know one way of looking at human life on any given person. But this thing about safety needs and growth needs, um, you know, there is a a danger when you're doing therapy that you might set the bar at at how Freud sees things, which is, you know, particularly nowadays, there's an emphasis on people being functional, which is quite a very modest ambition to have (laughs) uh, from Maslow's point of view. So I think reading this book, emphasized to me more just my own innate instincts which is that therapy could be so much more than that it should be much more than just functionality which is not to say that's unimportant obviously if people are so depressed that they're finding it difficult to to work then functioning is key there but i think also therapy could be a lot more than that and if people have the uh, enough time that they, they can focus on that too, that that is equally valid as a therapeutic aim than, yeah, it's a great than point. crisis mode. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it also highlights, you know, with with these different range of peak experiences we're discussing, you know, in a way, everything in life can be therapeutic if it's done in the right way. You know, I guess that yeah. that's, you know, as you say, there's the, there's the crisis points that people need 
assistance with and but there's also things they can do from you know in the everyday sphere actually that can be yeah. therapeutic you know it can and, be and a, i think and i think actually that yeah absolutely i mean therapy can't colonize the the notion of therapeutic or it shouldn't because what's therapeutic goes beyond formal therapy or naturally of course, um yeah. but but yeah i i think um that a lot of people enter therapy understandably enough in that crisis mode you know where the 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 helm of the ship is uh has been threatened and they need to they need to address what Maslow would say is their safety needs and so on to be more functional and that that's perfectly legitimate but if somebody wants to look at uh their growth as a person that is also therapeutic too yeah, absolutely um yeah. but it's not something that more standardized therapy covers yeah it's nice to have somebody like maslow who who came along and of course people like hoffman nowadays who who continue to emphasize you know the the positive you know the growth that we're all we're on this continuum it doesn't have to be just about remedy and ill health it can be about actually going somewhere you know and uh, you yeah know, yeah and, and maybe that is um for some people even more emboldening you know the the, the fact that it is uh not only you know, functioning better uh, at the end of therapy, but also inhabiting more of their best self. Well, well, it's nice. Yeah, it's, I guess it's very um, reassuring for people to know that, you know, for somebody like Maslow would see that that was very possible for them. And in, and in fact, actually, as Kaufman describes, um, you know, even focusing on one or two of these higher needs, even at a point where deficiency needs are not necessarily met, that can still be part of the picture, actually. You know, it's Absolutely. not like it's this, this strict ladder or pyramid that must be surmounted in a kind of linear way, actually. You know, that these no. higher needs can be, can be weaved in. And, and again, the person's you know, maybe view of their life could shift quite radically, actually, from despair well, absolutely. to, to, I to mean, yeah, something very more positive. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think one of the best examples we've ever had of this was, um, you know, Frankel in Auschwitz, because hmm. naturally in Auschwitz, his safety needs were not getting met, shall we say, to put it yeah. in a very understated way. But yeah. he felt that focusing on purpose helped him to endure the lack of his safety needs getting met. Yeah, And so, yes, somebody could be depressed and struggling with functioning, but a focus on meaning might actually help them to function more because they have some, they have a why. Um, and this is what, what um, Frankel did. I know we'll cover yeah. him later we'll, in our series, but indeed, yeah, yeah. But, but that, yeah, I think but that's a great example, example. That, um, that the higher needs can actually help us to endure the pains of unsatisfied safety needs yeah i think that's a really that's a really uh, nice example there alex and i guess um well we can we can end on that you know on, yeah i think on, so very I think inspiring that was a great example discussion um, thanks for and, yeah, that. Th thank you for that alex. yeah